There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer who buys one of his rods. Head to montanacastingco.com and use code MEATEATER20 at checkout for a one-time 20% off discount. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Okay, Spencer, right off the top, pl- uh, give a plug to pardon my plate. What it is, how to find it. Pardon My Plate is our newest YouTube series. You can find it at YouTube.com. For free. For free. That's right. Go to the Meat Eater page. Make sure you subscribe. And uh, we have three episodes of this new series called Pardon My Plate. When this podcast drops, two will already be available. Episode one of me and Steve eating carp. Episode two of me and Clay, or excuse me, me and Cal eating coot, and then episode three that I don't know, do we want to reveal what it is? Why not? It is me and Giannis eating coyote. And this series is dedicated to eating what, like most folks would consider inedible. And for me, it's really born out of like these generalizations that hunters and anglers have that are like, uh, oh, you can't eat that. Or those things taste like mud. And I think a perfect example would be like episode two is the coot. Yep. I could find you a hundred guys that would be like, those things taste like swamp water, but I could find you zero guys that have eaten one. So that's what this series is, is to like try to see. I ate one. Yeah. (laughs) It's a continuation of like, I think it's, it's a big part of our ethos. For sure. We've kind of been battling that uh, ever since Meat Eater has started is sort of battling these um, ideas about what something tastes like that 
Nobody's actually tasted it. Their no. dad didn't even taste it, but yet their grandfather told their dad it didn't taste good, and mm-hmm. it, it just gets passed on. But the what's interesting about the carp one is that how revered and 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 the pardon my plate about carp explores how revered the carp is around the world as a food item. Yeah, and in each twenty minute episode, you get like a history lesson about the critter that we're eating. You get an explanation of why Americans have this perception, and then at the end, we cook the damn thing. And and we're very intentional about how we cook the food too, right? Like we could take a coyote and uh, do ten different things to it and put it in a chili, and you wouldn't know you're eating coyote, right? But that's not the point. We want to get like a good baseline. So like the coot is just right on the grill with one other ingredient. The coyote or the the carp goes right in the deep fat fryer with one other ingredient. But it's cut in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. That's right. Cut in a very particular way. Yep. And the, the coyote goes right in the slow cooker with two other ingredients. So we're getting but like can you a, tell me right now, uh, how much did you like that coyote meat? It was the worst of the three things. Yeah, I bet, mm. man. When I ate it, really? I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Worst it, of the three. If, if, you've watched, if you've watched the other two episodes by now, then, then you'll probably have gathered this already. But coot was the best. Then I'd go carp second. And then coyote third. Three C's. Mm-hmm. And I would I would put probably coyote as a distant third, I think. Hmm. Really, I'm really surprised there's such a disparity between the coot and the coyote. Yeah, the the coot was genuinely good. The coyote was just like fine for a couple bites, and yeah. then I, I think as as you see in the video, um, I don't know if we so, really get to like bites three and four. Mm. So coot, now you would like. When they're passing by, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm killing them and putting them right next to the mallards in the freezer. Yeah, they're good. Did you get into, when you were eating that coyote, did you get into how it makes you feel all hot and sweaty? Did you have that problem? <laughs> there, there's there's going to be a couple minutes, I'm sure it made the final cut of the episode, where Giannis is convinced he's having hot flashes. Yeah, because uh... eating uh, when I ate uh, regular dog mm-hmm. and when I ate coyote, I got hot and sweaty from it. Yeah. What, and then What's the kind of biological, scientific... What do they say is going on? Like it's either well, the in in Vietnam, there's they say there's something in there that makes it that way, but uh, I think it's what you're feeling is guilt. Oh, the guilt makes you all <laughs> hot and the bothered. The guilt makes you hot and sweaty <laughs> when Here, you're eating dogs. Here's the thing: like we <laughs> can we can say it's bullshit, but Giannis felt it. I think two of our camera people felt it because they they dabbled in, in Vietnam. The coyote. They called it hot food. Yeah, I didn't feel it, but I didn't eat a ton of it. Yeah, there were mm-hmm. other folks that uh. That were there with it. Now, why are they all c words? Because that that's going to lead me yeah. to my next question. Because <laughs> right. the next thing is going to be c word too. Cukes. Mm. Because they were in our freezer when we decided to do this. I already total had, coincidence. Yep, I already had a coyote in my freezer. Uh, Cal already had a coot in his freezer. I also already had carp in my freezer. Just worked out well. I noticed uh, if you go into Google and just type in "pardon my plate," it pulls you right up. Mm. Pulls you right up to where you got to go. Good. That'll be a good way for uh, for you to get there. Like we said, two episodes out now. Third one comes out tomorrow, Tuesday, August 24th. And you get to see Spencer's uh, little setup, his little house. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in episode... I'm not saying little like in a diminutive way. I mean, it just, it's, a, it's very orderly and tidy. I episode like episode three, Giannis and I have to kill about six hours while the uh, coyote is brazing. So you get to see other parts of the house. Oh, get a little tour. That's right. Does your wife make a cameo yeah, in that one too? Yeah, we played a little game of, uh, what's that called? Bumper pool? Bumper pool. Yeah. Oh you yeah, because game? yeah, I love it. It's like one of my greatest possessions that I have that thing. You know what it is? 
Yeah, my yeah. neighbors used to have it. Really? Yeah, when I was a kid. I uh, I was on an ice fishing trip in college in northeastern South Dakota. We went to this little bar, little bar called uh, the Decoy Bar, and they had a bumper pool table. I'd never seen one before, but locals in there were playing it, and so I'd ask someone to like show me how to play it. And uh, I thought it was like the greatest thing ever. So I'm like, when I get a house, I'm going to get me one of these tables. So I put an ad on Craigslist. And by the next day, the like bookie for Southeastern South Dakota called me and he's like, hey, I got one of these in my basement that someone owed me money. And this is what they gave me instead. If you come and get it out of my basement, you can have it. So drove over to him. Got the bumper pool table. I've had it with me ever since. It's from 1955. And it was made oh, in wow. Bay City, Michigan. And it takes two dimes to play. Hmm. Yeah. In a very cool game room in Spencer's house. Thank you. Sweet, sweet room. God, man, take relax and pretty serious over there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know how I feel about all that relaxing. <laughs> no, that that was my wife and I's commitment to not having kids for a while. Like, if we put this game room together. See, a lot of people are like, kids are a dog. You're like, bumper pool <laughs> or kids? Exactly. So here's uh, here's something I'm going to show. I got This is something I'm going to give to Cringe. She hasn't seen it yet. But this is going to be, I think you need to do this for season two. Mm, okay. And it keeps with seeds because it's like uh, carp, coots, uh-huh. coyotes, cucumbers. Yeah. So That's we eat. the best. So uh, we like to dive for sea cucumbers, which are located in many places. We dive for them in southeast Alaska. And we usually keep the the meat strips. I can't remember. Is it five strips in each? Steve's pulling stuff out. Yeah, of Yeah, I'm Yeti. pulling stuff out of a little one of those little zippered Yeti coolers. Uh, a little t- teeny hopper. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say four maybe, but I think it's five strips in my hand five. right now. is sea cucumber meat. It's in a it's in a it's in a freezer bag. It's it's vac sealed, and this is. A good stack. I don't know how many we pick. Was, we we didn't like get serious. Like you can fill the boat with them. You know what I mean? Like there's how many you pick is how many you want to clean. Okay. Okay. So okay. we picked a few dozen one day. We we're, we we're spearfishing, but picked a few dozen. And I cleaned a bunch. So these are what we eat. It's like a it's like a clam strip without all the springiness. If you guys want to see how to clean that, we've got oh, yeah, yeah. we've got a video on our website how to clean a sea cucumber with Steve Ranella, and then also um, how they're caught. You can go watch that uh, on Netflix's episode nine of season nine at and, the fish shack. And then Corinne was asking about bringing back some with the warty part. Yeah, the whole thing because that's what like a lot of people eat. So that's that's what it looks like if after you just pull it out of the water. Yeah, but here's a great here's a great shot. One of these ones, the, the the ones that are whole. No, no, no. I gutted them. Mm. So it's like imagine it like it's a um it's a cylinder. Mm-hmm. It's very, like very much the size of a it's regular a cucumber. Cu- cucumber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Imagine you're holding a cucumber. <laughs> okay. And you cut off each end like you do mm-hmm. when you're fixing to fix it. Cut off each end, and then you cut it open, but not cut it in half. Like slit it open splay it out, then you get his intestines out of there, and then you hold it with a pair of catfish skin and pliers and take a three-inch putty knife and push the strips right out of it. That's genius. Here are the strips right here. If you look at this one, you can see that's the one, two, three, four strips. That's his interior muscles. You did a great job of cleaning those because not no offense against Patrick, who is up there with us. His kid was trying to clean some of those. Well, he had to clean a bunch of them. And 
they looked like just mush kind of when he got done with them. <laughs> Patrick, oh, your neighbor? Yeah. No, no, but... My goodness, you guys had a lot of people up there. He's, he's 40 years old, man. Yeah, I know. Oh. But I'm just commenting like... Now you're dogging on him. <laughs> no, it, it, it takes some, it takes some practice. <laughs> no, I... Yeah, apparently, it's Chester, not an easy apparently thing Chester to, doesn't like your boy. Chester, <laughs> on a scale from one to ten, how would you grade his? Oh, great! Here skills? we go again. No, he didn't do a bad job, but you're. I was complimenting. You're here for comment so sandwich. Ten, ten for you. <laughs> you're here for comment sandwich. You could have gone, could, gone like this, like, man, Patrick's boy sure got in there and cleaned those sea cucumbers. <laughs> I mean, they look like mush, but good looking kid. <laughs> oh, he's a hard worker. Yeah. Real hard worker. Yeah. Hand that down to Corinne so she can investigate. So Corinne's going to cook the, the whole... Corinne said, so quote, cool. she wants the inner part and the gooey part. Really? Right. I I also, I actually thought you were going to... I didn't even know you were going to partially clean this for me. I thought that there were going to be some you just like... Like right in, out of the water. Right out of the water into yeah. the freezer bag. No, they're a little... Because when they get nervous... They expel. They expel their gut. Their guts, mm. right. Yeah. Nothing looks better. Nothing looks better than a sea <laughs> cucumber picked up off the ocean floor. Because the first thing he does when he gets nervous is he kind of puckers up. Oh, so it's plump. So you, when you grab right. him, it's like flaccid. Mm-hmm. Then you, he plumps up. <laughs> and then yep. the more nervous he gets, he eventually deflates and expunges his intestines. <laughs> Sounds like something so else. I wanted, to, I, I wanted to, yeah, the, the sequencing is off slightly. But what I wanted to oh do, what I wanted to do is bring you uh, nice, cleaned sea cucumbers. Thank you. I'm very excited. What do you but, do with them? Excited. But take these two. Okay. Yeah, sure. No, I'll, I'll make some stuff and uh, bring it in for everyone to... Just fry, just, just cook, fry those fry these, and then man. they okay. are just like a clam strip. Yep. They're so good. I'll I will do that with that. And then the other stuff with the with the gooey parts on, I'll try to do. I mean, the reason why I I, I knew Steve was in Alaska, I messaged him because I had thought about uh season nine, episode nine. And the sea cucumber is prized as a delicacy in the cuisine of many Asian countries. And I've only seen them walking through a Chinatown in these large glass jars. And it's and I think that they have just been taken whole out of the sea and then kind of Got it. Yeah. Still drying in the sun. Oh, okay, dry yeah, out. Because the whole thing is just like a desiccated sea cucumber. Just whole. Oh, you know what you were saying? You see them in, in Chinese yeah, stores? Yeah, One day, someone, one of my buddies, I can't remember who, sent me a thing from Costco. No kidding. They had sea cucumbers. He said, uh-oh, or something like that. And it was sea cucumbers in mm. Costco. Whoa. Mm. Maybe I can't even remember what Costco they were in. Oh, my God. Yeah, sea cucumbers in no Costco. Kidding. I would have bought some. That's so bizarre. Chester, would something like that activate your fish allergy or not? Good question. No, I... I don't think so. I, I wasn't able to eat them up when we were in Alaska just because they fried them in the same oil as they did the fish. And uh. Everyone convinced me not to try them. <laughs> I wanted to. Um, have, have you tried uh, like sea urchin? Because apparently sea cucumbers are a type of marine invertebrate related to sea cucumbers and sea stars, collectively known as echinoderms. No. Never had not. sea urchin? No. Uh, mm, no. Once I thought there. of that, because I used to think of them once I thought of that relationship, they kind of made more sense to me. The relationship yeah, between sea stars yeah, and urchins. Right. Then you're like, oh, yeah, I can see that. 
Like one arm, Warts. one arm of a sea star resembles a sea right, cucumber. Right, mm. right. There's a huge commercial harvest up there where you're. Oh at, yeah, right? man! And when those guys come through, it can be a little bit hard. You got to look around to find some spots. Huh? They come through and hit it hard. I mean, tons and tons. We we're beachcombing this year and found one of the nets they use underwater to fill them up. It seems like it's That's a pretty so good renewable resource, though. Like, oh yeah. Because there's a lot of them. What else do you find beachcombing? Um, after, two years after the tsunami, we found a lot of stuff from Japan. I started cutting out Japanese letters off stuff and hanging it on the shack. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we find a, a lot of rope, um, boom logs, cable ties for boom logs. What's a boom log? Logs they use in their rafting lumber, rafting timber for mm. marine logging operations. Mm. We find a lot of commercial fishing gear, shrimp baskets, um, fish baskets. I found a USS Jimmy Carter submarine hat, which I wear. No kidding. <laughs> you wear it at the fish shack? Oh, every time. Wow, no kidding. <laughs> uh, found, so yeah, just a l- l- lot of usable stuff. Like, if we check three beaches, we'll bring two, three things home. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You got there's good places to go look. I like it. Oh, I found a huge, uh, I think it was from the tsunami, but I found a huge jug of like a, like a four-gallon jug of what smelled like simple green, but it had Japanese lettering on it. And you haven't identified what it is? I use it for detergent. I use it like simple green. You're just guessing, though. No, you put your nose in there, and you put some water in there, and scrub it with a scrub but brush, it guessing. bubbles up. <laughs> yeah, I'm ge- it's, it's, trust me. I like it. It's a detergent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was there when I I was uh-huh. driving the boat when he jumped off and went to go get it. It's yeah. a big thing of detergent. Okay. <laughs> is that st- the same detergent is still in there? Well, no, because I started topping. Once I got down low, I started topping it off. Okay. So now, in fact, that I was a re- long time ago. I just refilled it this year. I put one gallon of Simple Green in and topped it off with water. Good hearty blend. I'm a big Simple Green guy, man. <laughs> I like the lemon flavor stuff. <laughs> Go on. Uh, yeah, just to actually comment back to what you said, Chester, the demand for sea cucumber has gone up yes. really quite a bit over the couple past couple of decades. So, oh, they're gonna say the last couple of years, last yeah, couple of decades. decades. So, from what I saw, with kind of a uh, growing middle class in China and more people in China being able to afford sea cucumber, which was previously, or I mean, it's still a delicacy, but with more people being able to afford it in the 80s is when the demand really skyrocketed. And apparently over the past number of years, a chemical in the skin of the sea cucumber called fucosylated glycosaminoglycan uh, which is used to treat joint problems. That's been used by scientists in Europe to create all kinds of, I guess, treatments and, and medicines for people suffering from blood clots and cancers. So over the course of the past couple of decades, the demand has really skyrocketed. And um, out of the 70 species that are sought and used, seventy are actually, uh, seven of them, seven out of the 70 are actually classified as endangered. God, um, man, no wonder that market spilled over to Alaska so much. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine. It's the happy hunting grounds. I would imagine that that's why. Yep. And and I was mistaken. I actually didn't know that they were until episode nine, season nine. I didn't even realize that they were 
found in oceanic bodies all over the world. I really thought that they were maybe more in in a certain region of the world, but they are all over. But yeah, seven <laughs> out of 70 are endangered. And we they... caught three jig and ling cod this year. <coughs> They're down deep too, you know, mm-hmm. not just yeah, shallow. Yeah, right, but you'll drop right. jig down and snag a sea cucumber. You know, so yeah, that that seems to be part of the danger of, of fishing it. You're just going to as deep as the seafloor goes. And they take two to six years to grow to marketable size. Hmm. So I don't really know what the situation of the sea cucumbers are in Alaska and actually what species you even grabbed. I've known and I could find out again. Mm. Is it red? I'll have to look. Okay. Do those I mean, things there, have, there are so many. So. Do those things have predators besides Steve? Or is that it? I don't know what natural mm. things eat them. I don't know. But like when you, if you, when you clean a bunch and then throw the skins and guts out, Crabs and stuff don't work it over. Really? No. I'd oh. imagine those black bears would pick them up when at low tide, hmm. you'd think. I don't think so. You I've don't? never seen them do it. I saw a black bear dragging a big sea star one time. I don't know what he's going to do with it. Probably ate it. Huh. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know what eats them, man. Uh-huh. Man, they're an unsightly little bugger. Unsightly. Apparently in Asia, like the spikier and crazier... They look the more sought after they are, and the Japanese sea cucumber is supposed to be the most prized and can fetch up to $3,500 a kilo. That's a bit over two pounds, which is insane. Right? So you you just gave me a lot of money's worth of sea cucumber, Steve. Yeah, I'm going to have to renegotiate that transaction. (laughs) Just for the inside strips or the just... The whole thing. I think that I think the whole thing. I wonder if that's dried or not. That's a good, uh, good question. But then, uh, so t- speaking of the value, like the black market, this is just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Japan's Coast Guard busted eleven poachers off the coast of how do you say that? Hokkaido. That's a, that's a Japanese. That's one of the islands. It's in northern Japan. Okay. They're trying to make off with 1,500 pounds of sea cucumbers, street value 20,000 bucks. They got busted by the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard had received a tip off that they had, uh, they seized 13 crates in a daring nighttime raid, rounded up suspected poachers. These guys had divers, lookouts, getaway cars. They're facing three years in prison, $270,000 in fines. Like a that sting operation. <laughs> sea cucumbers. Yeah, they got it all. They got them laid out like drugs. <laughs> Cow. So this dude, a dude wrote in, and this is one of the, this like is even mildly upsetting to me. Mm. <laughs> this might That's be a good part of the plate. So these guys had some depredation elk tags in South Dakota. This guy sends us in. So it's a little bit upsetting, but it's like, I listen, man, I, I'm, I'm, a firm, like, I'm in. I'm in. I love the guy. I love the guy. For sure. Him and his buddy drew some elk depredation tags in South Dakota. They both shot cows. And as it, as happens to anyone who does these late season cow hunts. Well, here's something to look at. Here's a way to think about this. Elk are bred in September. Okay. They breed in September, early October. If you kill a cow elk in November, you've shot a pregnant cow. Now, this starts to get upsetting to people as the season goes on because then once there's like a visible fetus, then people get, right? Mm-hmm. But keep that in mind. Most cow elk to get shot 
are pregnant. They just they just are. But when you get into hunting, like what they call the shoulder seasons, you know, you get these like January seasons for elk. Oftentimes, you'll be you'll gut them and be greeted with uh, greeted by an elk fetus. A lot of caribou hunts are the same way. Hmm. This guy barbecued it. These pictures are really really something. Oh, mm. Barbecued them. What's upsetting to you about these pictures, Corinne? It's, it's just a couple elk fetuses. Yeah, I mean, it's just all cooked a, up. It's not exactly that it's upsetting per se. Um, it's just uh, I don't, on the average, kind of get to see uh, a fetus. You know, yeah, a fetus, and like you can kind of see the thing, can see its little feet. And the outline of its body and, you know, just I think like it gives a thing. human uh, pause to think about life. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. But my question is, is the second picture just it seasoned before it went that, into the oven or right. it's uh, actually I can, cooked? I can't tell. That's I can give supposed his, I, to be cooked, I that's think. Cooked. I'd like to give his tasting notes. These are good. <clears throat> yeah, the great tasting, tasting notes are good. So he 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 uh, got to reading, and he found a mention of a German noble who used to be fond of eating red stag fetuses. This feller says he's of German ancestry, so why not? Um, he lubed them up with some butter and spices, including some Chinese five spice with some fresh ginger, and. Some sweet baby raised barbecue sauce. Well, he did two of them, and one was the Chinese oh, five five right. spice blend, yeah. and the other one was just yeah. standard American barbecue. Sorry, sauce. that was good. Yeah. That was a good, careful read. Set them in the oven like a brisket. They took on very little color after they had baked for three and a half hours, and I got them to 160 degrees internal. Got some friends together. The meat was not like anything I have ever tried. The skin was pink, like an uncooked chicken even after some serious time in the broiler. The flesh was the color and texture of a raw oyster or whitefish, and the meat flaked, uh-huh. almost like a cross between a cooked brisket and cooked trout. The taste was devoid of any flavor at all. Aside from the spices and the physical presence of the material, the meat could not be differentiated <laughs> from that of the air in your mouth as you chewed. <laughs> wow. Wants to know if I've ever eaten a fetus. Nope. Hmm. Mm. Not you know, not that I'm opposed to it. I would. Mm-hmm. I'd give it a wing. But man, hats off. That's great. I think there's if you really boil it down, it, there's a lot of different layers here. Like we have a psychological or ethical conundrum because we value gestation as this not just symbolic but real part of birth and renewal of life so the fact that a human interrupted this process and is then Mm -hmm. going to go eat this fetus that's like has the potential to disturb somebody but i'm all for it just like you steve because we have a late season bow hunt here in arkansas that goes through our season goes through february 28th so if you kill a doe anytime during that period you potentially would see a fetus in a gutted doe. But Uh I've told people for years exactly what you said, is that if you kill that doe on November the 10th, she was just as pregnant then. The other, There's also the thing that just of using the whole resource, you know, I mean, when you look at the macro picture, there's an elk 
a female cow elk hunt because they're trying to manage these elk. And if it's happening in 2021, it's a thing that's valuable for conservation. And so if you kill a pregnant elk, use the whole thing. So I don't have any problem with it. Have oh, you no. ever, it's kind have of, you ever it's tried wild. it? Have you ever no, tried I, fetus? No, I have not. Okay, I think that if any of us get later season critters, we should... Sure, man. Cook put, one up. Yeah. Put oh, the, I'd, lo- yeah. I'd love to try it. Uh, I've read about people, a couple of things that not... We've discussed this. Um, read accounts where Plains tribes would, if they killed a calf, a buffalo calf, they made a dish with the curdled mother's milk hmm. from inside the calf's hmm. stomach. Which I don't know why. I feel like that's in the same same spirit. Yeah. Uh, here's a crazy story. These guys, there's a story here. What did this come from? Vice originally? Yeah. A dude uh, had to have his lower leg and foot amputated. Cook at home, made foot tacos for his friends. Just pictures of the foot tacos. How do you do that whistle? <sighs> like where you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I think we're all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's the final frontier, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the final frontier. No. I'm oh. out on this one. Out. I'm out. Garrett, oh. Garrett Long said, really putting his foot, really put his foot in his mouth there. <laughs> Quality. One of the guys we work with said, huevos rancheritos. <laughs> so Steve, if you were invited to this party, you in or out? I'd have to know the guy. I'd eat your foot meat, but you I'm not. Gonna, oh yeah, but I'm not going to eat foot meat from a guy I don't know. Mm. To me, it's more like an expression of the individual, man. Mm. And like, if I saw in the store like foot meat, I'm not going to. You know, it's just not human foot meat. What if it was human um, forearm? Just doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Human meat. If it was like, if you said, hey, man, this thing happened to me, I'm going to eat my foot, my leg, whatever, then I'd be like, oh, you know, for you, Yanni, and I'd go over there and eat it. Oh, man. But oh. I wouldn't eat just, if someone said like, I don't know, I just got whatever. That's funny. I think some people might have the opposite approach. They'd want to not it's know. it's like, you've, you've looked Yanni in the eye and, you know, you've bared your souls to each other, had many great moments together. Maybe you wouldn't want to eat his foot, but if it's some guy that you haven't met before, I think some people might be like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll eat that guy's foot." No, because if let's say I had to get a kidney transplant, and I could get Yanni's or a stranger's, I would take Yanni's kidney because then I would have less sort of like questions. Mm. Sure, yeah, about who I was walking around with the body with a yeah, part of yeah. in me. I get that. That's a little bit more dependent on like. Your, your well-being than just eating. Something. No, no, no. Nothing oh, he well-being. means like on a spiritual level. Why, how do, level, how do right? I know? Why, why would I think that his kidney's better than some other kidney? <laughs> he might have a mess. I don't know that. I guess. It's just like the knowingness. Sure. I would just want to know. Would, and if I ate a guy, I'd be real curious about who it was. Would you <laughs> eat your own foot? Let's say like your oh, foot yeah, your sure. foot with your like ingrown toenail. Okay. Not at all. Let's say like the ingrown toenail <laughs> caused some real problems for your foot down the line. And then for... 
some reason, God forbid, you had to have it amputated. Oh, absolutely. You, you Listen, your own foot. Everybody, everybody's done this in the past, in their lifetimes, where you get a cut on your hand or your finger, and you don't have like a way to stop the bleeding immensely, for, you know, right Drink there. Drink your own blood. What do you do? You stick your finger in your mouth, right? And you're, you're yeah, you're drinking your own blood at that point. What's the difference? It is a little difference. But blood feels really different toe. than like the, you know, yeah. toe flesh If I tacos. said, yeah, you got, I'm going to nick your finger and, and you could put that in your mouth or I could serve you your toe. <laughs> I feel like they're going to be like. The blood thing's like circulating, I feel like. The toe thing is like. <laughs> but it's not circulating. You don't have blood in your digestive <laughs> no, system. No, but. Yeah. I know, but it's just in your head is it, my point. It's very true. Chris uh, or Corinne went to went to our our meat specialist, Doctor Chris. I don't think it rhymes with chalk. It does. It is Calkins. Calk and chalk. <laughs> it comes up every time. Calk, cock, cock. Like like I'm gonna like caulk the tub. Yeah. yeah, like chalk. I lived in the house one time when I was uh, living in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and we had uh, the bathtub leaked like bad, and it was that we rent from a slumlord. And anytime someone took a shower, it would just like, I mean, honestly, it would just flow through to the living room below. And we kept saying, hey, something's wrong, something's wrong. He wouldn't do anything, wouldn't take it seriously. So I went and got a gallon of roofing tar. (laughs) And I'm not kidding you, man. I caulked that thing in that roofing tar. It took forever to dry. So everywhere, like anytime someone set like a bottle of shampoo or something down, it would get roofing tar on it. And then that roofing tar would move around and you have to be real careful like what you rubbed up against in the tub. It took months, but eventually that roof and tar set up mm. and the dude we ran from, like when we moved out and stuff, never mentioned it because he knew he had part of the house was falling away from the house so bad that we wanted to run an extension cord out one time. We were able to pass the extension cord through where the house had fallen away from itself. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> My rent like, was 110 bucks. <laughs> it sounds like too much mm. for that place. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, Calkins. Chris Calkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Calkin. That I was just thinking about roof the bathtub Calkin. <laughs> okay, Corinne, t- t- tell what, what he's got well, to say about eating I mean, people. It was it was because it was like one of our colleagues made a joke, but also, you know, on a serious note about cooking the foot flesh to what you know a temperature that would be safe so even though this was a joke i also um emailed chris and just wanted to know what he thought about the entire situation and uh these are some quotes from him there are so many things wrong with this presumably the muscle starts out safely edible getting past the ick factor then yes the same rules of thumb would apply for safety as uh other flesh but if i understand the story correctly I'd be concerned that the limb spend about a week dying before it was amputated. Hmm. So that's all kind of bacteria and maybe toxins that accumulate. And freezing wouldn't necessarily resolve either of those problems. Uh, If it's loaded with bacteria, you have to cook it thoroughly to kill it. That means well done through and through. I'd also be worried about the accumulation of medicines. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Cooking doesn't do anything to resolve this issue. It's not about the temperature at which it's cooked to as much as it is the temperature it reaches, but even then, no one should do this. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if he's reached uh, tenure. Like, will he get, will, will uh, Dr. Calkins, 
eventually get censured for weighing in on, or is he, or is this viewed as like in his professional purview? I'm sure this is safe. Uh, oh, that tub, not a leak out of that thing after that. Well done, huh, yeah, with the roof and tar, yeah, handy, Just Steve. Heads up, yeah, that's some Bob Villa stuff there, man. <laughs> hmm. We used to always pronounce it Villa. I used to hate watching that show when Dad would force us. We, I'd rather be watching anything, cartoons, Saturday morning and fish. That's when they used to have Saturday morning fishing and hunting shows. And instead, this old house would be on. Well, how, that's, why I, that's why I'm not like in the trades I now, like I think. this old house. <laughs> that's, that's what did it? Bob Villa, Villa drove you out of it? No, no. Not that I never really became like, like worked in it, but that I'm just like not even like just even like at home, I'm always like, eh, I think I should call Brady up. <laughs> yeah, but you're pretty handy, though. Yeah, but not like my dad handy. Oh, yeah. Clay, are you going to say something? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> here's, a, here's a fascinating story, and a bunch of people sent this to me. This is good stuff. In Saudi Arabia, there's a lava tube. So imagine it's like a cave, right? Spencer, you're like, you're like our, you're becoming our resident geologist. Explain a lava tube. I don't know what a lava tube <laughs> is. That's a cave. In this cave, there's a stockpile of bones that were stockpiled there by hyenas over a course of 7,000 years. So a ever-going population of hyenas utilizing this cave to bring bones in to snack on. Wow. Now, Did they just find this? Yeah. No. Str- okay. okay, they found it in 2007. <laughs> That's right. They've been researching it since 2007. Well, okay, They've just in what terms? If we're talking about something but... that happened over 7,000 years, I feel like 2007 is, re- is, is the recent no, end No, no, they've been investigating the site, but it was only a few months ago that they went even further in That's to this right. area oh. and found the bone pile. So the bone pile discovery is only a couple months old. A lava tube system, which is a sprawling network of tunnels formed by volcanic activity. Striped hyenas... Hunt. You can make like a scene here in a movie because you got to tell them about how they like why they didn't go farther in there. They're in this cave exploring it, doing archaeologist work, and then they hear snarls of hyenas possibly farther down in there. No. And so they turn yep, around. That's it. Mm-hmm. Come really? on. Yes. It, it says the. Listen, man, I, I had to take my kid to the doctor this morning and get a wart frozen off his foot. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't review everything as carefully as I might normally have. <laughs> Well, that's the doctor why comes in. How's them warts doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, planners warts on the bottom. Yeah, this doctor is hilarious, man. He's like, he's like, how's them warts doing? <laughs> it says the most modern bones are 439 years old, though. So I didn't realize this was like still an active site if they're hearing hyenas in there. I didn't realize the hyenas were in there. At one point they were, which is why they hadn't gone to the depths Mm. Yanni's like a subject matter expert yeah, in this cave. <laughs> no, I'm just like I'm not like I've been in a, in a few caves that have gotten small and tight, man. And uh, what, what's that fear called? I can't. Oh, claustrophobia. Yeah. yeah. Like when it gets like that, I do not like immediately, man. The blood pressure rises. I do not like it. So to be in that kind of a situation and then to hear a <laughs> down in there, <laughs> hey, you get I'm that. really getting out of that one. It looks like something out of Pirates of the Caribbean, so you're right. Like, right, it does. You know, a bunch of bones. Wild. Oh, like, I mean, like a classroom size mountain of bones, including, Yanni's probably has some correction about this, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of bones, 14 
kinds of animals. Cattle, caprids, horses, camels, rodents, and even folks. Gnawed up. It's wild. Gnawed up by hyena teeth. Hundreds of thousands. They feel like maybe, maybe Yanni knows why this is. They feel like maybe the hyenas have been ransacking human burial sites and dragging those bones home. Think about that. It's wild to me that we're still finding stuff like this. Yeah. You know, you, you, you get this sense that the earth is discovered, you know, that like we found everything and then we find stuff like this and it's, it's kind of cool because the, the earth is not discovered, you know, there's all kind of wild stuff out there. Oh, I'd love to go dig into that pile, man. Yeah, Chester perfectly described the scene. It's like bones on bones on bones, and you'd expect to see like a, like a big treasure chest on top of the whole thing. Yeah. Gold necklaces and stuff. Yeah, yeah, one beam of light hitting it. That's your thing. Aztec gold. With booby traps. Yes. Right. Yep. Oh, that's a great. Yeah, I'd like to dig through that pile and bring some of that stuff home. Johnny Depp drinking some rum. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know. They seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like You still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
Hey, man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Uh, speaking of hyenas, you like that? transition that's good speaking of hyenas how'd you come up with that uh, just like uh i don't know man just these little things come to me now uh-huh. and then. he's been hanging out with me yeah <laughs> well fat quick draw quick mm-hmm. draw phil yep quick draw taylor <laughs> uh we had an episode not long ago called cat scratch fever where a guy from hawaii uh who who is bow hunting for wild goats feral goats um, on a whim, decided to eat a hunk of feral goat and contracted toxoplasmosis, which is which has the flow through uh, cat poop, cat shit. I had multiple people reach out to me saying we had a missed opportunity there that instead of cat scratch fever, cat shat fever. Oh. Yeah, not even Phil came up with that. I know. Oh. That's good, though. <laughs> That's got to oh, make you jealous, don't it, Phil? A uh, <laughs> little bit, yeah. Phil spaces out now and then, no? <laughs> and, like, is messing with his computer and probably misses a lot of opportunities to make funny little things. I should have fed that to him ahead of time. I yeah. was reading about lava tubes. Oh, yeah. so he's over there studying up on lava tubes <laughs> and misses a chance to say something funny. So cat shat fever. So these guys are studying. This is a, this is a fascinating thing. They're, do, they're doing a research project in Kenya where they're looking at when hyenas get tox. And one of the things about getting toxoplasmosis is that it like, you know, affects your behavior. It has neurological effects. And one of the things is when a hyena cub gets toxoplasmosis, it loses its fear of lions. And there's all this stuff about, like, it flows through felines, okay? Toxoplasmosis flows through felines. And there's these sort of, like, conspiracy theory-sounding there's no conspiracy, but it's like wild thing, this idea that when they infect an animal, so when an animal becomes infected by toxoplasmosis, it then becomes easier for the cat to kill because it starts acting weird. So it's this thing that's like, uh, it's this, it, it's a aid. It's like high fence hunting. It's like, or something, it's like you're, uh, Passing along and making it easier to harvest. Yeah, it sounds like uh, when you hear a whitetail expert talk about CWD or something. The deer don't often die from CWD, but because they're so messed up, they're just easier prey for hunters or predators or vehicles or whatever. That's what that's what it sounds like you're describing. Yeah, but a lot of deer die from CWD. Yes, related, but the whole related causes thing. Sure. In this study, this is interesting as hell. 
in this study, all hyena cubs that have toxoplasmosis, all of them are killed by lions before they're one year old. Of uninfected hyena cubs, only 17% get killed by lions. So they keep their distance. They know. And when they have the tox, they fall easy prey to the feline. It's a good thing Danny didn't have any large cats in Hawaii. Yeah. Saber, yeah. He'd come across big saber tooth. He'd, be he'd, like, he'd, he'd have walked right up to it. What's up, man? He'd have been like, what's up, man? Yeah, that's like a literal death sentence. None of them make it. It's really interesting, man. You're saying, though, that there's like a biological advantage to a cat passing it on. So it's like the more that those oh. cats yeah. have it... The more they spread it through their area, the more animals get crazy and they're easier to kill. So the the infected lions just keep getting stronger and stronger, but more and more infected. Yeah, and when I first heard that a while ago, I thought that sounded like horseshit to me. I was like, ah, it can't be true. But this thing is interesting, man. And I think there's it's been like, some similar like work with cats and rats. Yeah, it's like chemical warfare. Like you see what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. for like, sure. Yeah, like sending out something to do your dirty work for you without having to go in. Yeah, if you just wander over to a hyena den, drop a deuce, be like, I'll be seeing you boys. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) In my teeth. (laughs) It's really something. I'll have you guys know that uh, I'm carving a very intricate mural into my desk. Oh, yeah, I saw the first part of it. Man, it's grown. I've got a bear, a bear, a full <laughs> strut. What'd you say? Am I in it? I, I, that's a good idea, Steve. I, I'll put your face in it. I've got a, I've got a, a bear, a full strut gobbler turkey. That, and then there's a, a white oak tree that separates them, and then there's a raccoon. Oh. I could put Steve Renella right over. Just yeah. past the record. That'll, maybe, that'll maybe, be like a tattoo like a that you regret later. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe creeping up on something. Give him toxoplasmosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a mountain lion creeping up on him. <laughs> you know, we, we've talked on this show a million times or so about what, what we call the, not what we call, what everybody calls the Pittman-Robertson Fund. So when you go and buy, as we've explained, but I'll explain it again. It's a good thing to know about. When you go and buy ammunition or firearms, um, there's a excise tax on that on those goods, and that excise tax goes to fund wildlife work, wildlife conservation. So when you when you buy a gun, eleven percent of the wholesale price, ten percent of the wholesale price for handguns. So it's eleven percent of the wholesale price for long guns and ammunition, ten percent of hotel price wholesale price for handguns. Manufacturers and importers pay the excise tax, okay? And then you, like, fund it back on on the purchase. But when you do it, so you don't see it itemized out. It's already been done. But 11% of that money goes to fund wildlife conservation. This system's been around since 1937. Hunters are, you know, hunters like me, we always like to talk about, oh, yeah, we're doing so much good. But uh, the vast, vast majority of this was 90-some percent of this is not related to hunting. It's just gun owners and shooting sports and everything like you know people that 
particularly people that, but you know, like a New Jersey cat lady could go dr- buy a pistol and it goes into Pittman Robertson. That the one that goes into Pittman Robertson fund. But that that total tally since 1937 just tipped past 14 billion dollars into the Wildlife Restoration Trust Fund. And that money is flowing right now because the firearm and ammunition industry has just exploded since COVID. And what would be like a literal example of this trust fund being spent on something? Matching dollars to state agencies would be the main thing. It could it could be that uh, you want to uh, oh, you want to do some like Arizona say wants to do some bighorn restoration and move bighorns into a new mountain range to try to to, to restore some of their range, and you're going to do some habitat work ahead of that. And remove some fencing, right? And a state agency is going to do that. A state agency would apply for that. But it's also in like much more attainable things too that probably every person in this country has like done something that's been funded partially by Pittman and Robertson and not even known about it, right? Oh, yeah. Boat launches, all kinds of stuff. Things you use. Uh, another thing I was saying that it does is it helps states protect their own in-house funding because – let, let's say you, whatever the hell, you, you live in Illinois, okay, and you buy a hunting license. And now the way that works is that hunting license money should stay in for the state wildlife agency. But a lot of times the state will be like short on money somewhere else. And they'll go piff, pill for that money because they'll look like, look at these guys are sitting over here on all this money. So we're going to do some restructuring and steal their money and use it to, you know, build a baseball stadium somewhere. Uh, if a state pilfers its state, if a state pilfers its own fish and wildlife agency, it becomes ineligible to receive the the federal matching dollars and how Pittman Robertson is allocated. And it's allocated. One of the ways it's allocated is allocated relative to uh, there's there's like a license purchaser function in it too, to how they divide it up among the states. I like it. Does that satisfy you? Yes. I mean, are you completely clear that like any pilfering at all makes it like null and void? Like you do any pilfering, no Pittman-Robertson money for you. I'm not a subject matter expert on it, but I know the estate becomes ineligible for those matching dollars if they're pilfering their thing. Yeah. Hey, you know, there's there's a great book that has a chapter in the book that's dedicated to this, and it's the North American Model of Wildlife Conservation book by Shane Mahoney and Valerius Geist. It's a, uh, man, it, it ought to be like mandatory reading with a with a hunting license. And it's it's an incredible book. And, and, a, and a section of it is dedicated to that funding and kind of understanding it, but really, really good. The the way it's officially worded is it's, it's uh, funding for states and territories to support wildlife restoration, conservation, and hunter education and safety programs. They recently revamped and, and opened up that the funding can fund more things. So, and it was, it, it's like, there's like kind of a, there's, uh, there's like a little rub there that has sort of two sides to it. One thing you can do is they can pull Pittman Robertson money out and I think they recently made it that you can use Pittman Robertson money to make shooting ranges. Okay. So then you go like, well, how in the hell is making a shooting range wildlife conservation? But then people point out, well, it's, it's like an investment. 
you're making a shooting range. You're making shooting sports more accessible to people. By making shooting sports more accessible to people, you're driving a ton more money into Pittman-Robertson fund. So it's a little bit like, it, it, you know, I don't want to call it a catch-22, but there's like a little bit of a, well, yeah, but, right? It's like a lion having toxoplasmosis mm-hmm, and going mm-hmm. by high I was just thinking that. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Uh, they can also use Pittman-Robertson money now. And this is another one that you're kind of like, eh, it feels like, it feels like mission creep. I think you can use, you can use Pittman-Robertson money now to market hunting, to promote hunting. Huh. And then someone still might look and say, but man, since 1937, it's been for wildlife restoration and wildlife research. How can you be taking that money out and doing non-mission stuff with it? Like we shouldn't be doing it, but you also see it. They're like, well, yeah, but it'll, it'll lead to, a, it'll, it'll lead to uh, a higher level of safety for the fund to make sure that there's this continuous stream of people paying into the fund. Good businesses got to market somehow and, you know, to make it. So it's kind of like marketing, obviously. So. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought that was something that was fundamental to the fund for a long time, Steve. That you know, shooting ranges and hunter education. I was thinking that was from the very beginning. No, because there was recently a Pittman Robertson Modernization Act that did some things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Clay, have we talked on the show before about uh, the cryptocurrency, the Bear Grease cryptocurrency idea? You just mentioned it. Once on a past episode, I wasn't there. You just mentioned it briefly, but so no, not really. Yeah. So months ago, Chester and I took a call with a cryptocurrency and an uh, NFT expert, non fungible token. Yep, a non fungible crypto, non fungible token NFT and cryptocurrency expert. Because we didn't want to like uh, miss out on the fun. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to be left in the dust. And not be uh, up to speed on cryptos and NFTs. And I said, I don't know if our audience is quite ready for cryptos and NFTs, but like, I need to know about it. Like how to make an NFT and sell it or whatever. Give it away. I don't know. Then one day, Bear, uh, Clay had the idea that when we do make a cryptocurrency, we'd call it Bear Grease. Genius. And it so would trade. <laughs> it would trade in ounces, tablespoons. But the cryptocurrency is called Bear Grease. So when you go to one of those cryptocurrency things, you see Bitcoin, Doge, right? There'd be Bear Grease there. And we have a way to manipulate the price. Like we're way ahead on how to manipulate the price because here's, manip- here's how you manipulate the price of this cryptocurrency. Is, this, is it good to tell hey, anybody? Let me, yeah, Steve, let I'm, I'm going to bleep all of this out. <laughs> hey, the other thing was that the, the, the premise of the idea is that Bear Grease was once used as a currency. Yeah, you know, so it, like different volumes of bear grease could have been traded. So it was like a it was like a currency. Oh, you know so, what you need to fact check yourself on Clay. What's that? Clay says there used to be in, in olden times there was a unit of measurement called an eel. How sure are you that that's true? Well, listen. So I, I, I this week I went to the book that I felt like I read that in, and it wasn't there. And I actually emailed the author. No, 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 no. no. The, the like, Did you remove a passage from my book? From his specific book, no, even. No, no. I, I'm, 
so I so I emailed the guy and I said, man, I could have swore I read that in your book. I'm I'm very certain I read that because I wrote about it myself. I quoted someone in an article I wrote twelve years ago about the tanned neck height of a deer being a unit of measurement for bear grease, and they called it. And, and you know, I was reading this, so I'm just like phonetically pronouncing it as an eel. And I don't even really remember how it was spelled. So I contacted Keith Sutton, who wrote this book. I thought I read it in. He said, no, Clay, I've never heard of that. But I read it somewhere because 10, 12 years ago, I quoted it in an article that was at one time online, but that article's no longer online. Well, we just had a Daniel Boone historian. We just interviewed a Daniel Boone historian, Ted Franklin Ballou. Mm. Ran the whole eel thing by him, and he didn't know what we were talking about. Mm. Yeah, well, you're in um, hot water, buddy. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep searching for it because I I've read it I've read it somewhere. I but, loved uh, I love Paul Revere whether he wrote or not. <laughs> by which I love either way, dude. If it's not true, we just need to make it true. And yeah. tan a deer neck, a cylinder, stitch one end and fill it full of bear grease, and put a purse string on the I other just- end and draw it tight. I just don't think you could make that up, you know. I mean, like, no, that would you might have you might have dreamt it in a some sort of hallucinatory state or something. And maybe. that's possible. That is possible. So, what's interesting is there's another old measurement called an L E L L. Ooh, what's that? It's uh, Northwestern it European unit of measurement, originally understood as a cubit. The combined length of the forearm and extended hand. That's it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what? E- it's got to be. E-L-L. But no, but it has oh. nothing to do with bear grease well, it's, and it's a sand <laughs> <deer> neck. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, I bet money that the the volume of a white-tailed deer neck sewed together would be equivalent to about... Oh. Yeah, so they, they, they used the deer neck, and but the unit of measurement was an E-L-L. Giannis, you're like you're like Sherlock Holmes, man. <laughs> no, he's he's like a guy with with Google. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, Wikipedia. I, I, I'm not making the connection. I, I am. You are. Yeah. Explain say this. it to me. Say I said to you. Let's say I said to you. I had a uh my kid. Let's say I have to take my kid's palm. Okay, and I pour some liquid in my kid's palm, and it just so happens that an ounce of water fits in my kid's palm, and I were to say. Oh, I, I'll show, I can tell you what an ounce is. My kid's palm, when he holds water in his palm, that's exactly an ounce. Yeah, but So it could be that he was reading where some guy said that we, we know there's a unit of measurement. And some guy says, some guy realizes that he can equate or get an equivalent of that unit of measurement when he fills a deer neck. Mm-hmm. That that winds up being that. If I said a deer neck, is a, it holds a liter. Roughly a liter. I know, but the the L that I just described has nothing to do with volume. It's a, yeah, a, lin- it's a linear. Eighteen inches. Oh, I should listen more carefully. But picture that it did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet that's the connection. I, I I bet the just somehow that measurement. You know, maybe a, the deer neck was eighteen inches, but they. They they sold bear that the the storage of the bear grease was in the tan neck height of a deer 
and they used that unit of measurement to describe the quantity. You better go I, find I, it. I, yeah. Uh, let me tell you something, Clay. Here's an, uh, This is an apocryphal story. Uh, tell me what that means. Second time we've used it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, it means that it's... Um, I can't explain it. It like cap it sort of like captures the essence of a thing. Dubious authenticity. Something widely circulated as This is the second true. time I got this wrong. <laughs> oh no, no, no. No, I yeah, got it right. right. I got it right. There was an apocryphal story. Right. That General Sherman this this listen to what I'm telling you, Clay, about this <laughs> deer neck deal. Yeah, People he, used to say he that might General not give Sherman you the same undivided attention, but Listen to his. No, now, I caught everything. No, listen, man. I listened to him so carefully that I realized there was a problem. No one else here realized there was a problem. Go ahead. There's a story that General Sherman went to the Texas Assembly and said, the, we need to kill all the buffalo in order to defeat the Native Americans. That once we kill the buffalo, they'll have nothing to eat and we'll be able to subjugate them to reservation confinement. That he, that he said, articulated this perspective. Mm-hmm. Later, a, a graduate student working under the historian Dan Flores, who'd been reading that his whole life, I've read that, was like, well, where did that go? Where, where, like, when did he give this speech? He goes down to Austin to, to do his research. General Sherman never even spoke, never addressed no the Texas kidding. Assembly. Huh. But it is a widely trafficked. It somehow entered under like it 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 entered the sort of uh canon of understanding in a way that no one ever went and looked and it just became like a repeated thing and a repeated thing and a repeated thing the same way I run around telling people about this deer neck business. <laughs> and then someone someday was like, "Huh, oh, really? What exact when did that happen?" And then they're like, you know what? It didn't. Like, we've been all spouting off the same thing from the same place. You know that Boone used to shoot, the, Boone would bark squirrels? You yes. know this? Well, I've heard this. Boone would bark squirrels. Turns out the guy that says he saw Boone bark squirrels some year in Kentucky, Boone wasn't in Kentucky that year. Mm. He was in Missouri. But that's in every damn book. So now everyone knows what apocryphal means. <laughs> even Yanni. Are we sure Link- even me? <laughs> Are we sure Lincoln was ever even in Gettysburg? We should follow up on this. <laughs> Turns out, yeah. Uh, but either way, this cryptocurrency called Bear Grease. Um, I'm into it. And a guy wrote in that he thinks that it could be possible. And we know how to like wildly inflate. This is the part you can't tell people. How to wildly inflate Clay's Bear Grease cryptocurrency. Just a shortage of it, right? No, 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 no. Okay. Clay, should we tell or not tell? Well, I mean, I guess if we're going to do it, we shouldn't tell. If we're not going to do it, we should tell them just to show people how much we think about these things. But a guy wrote in to say that he thinks that uh, he He's says a programmer. If, we're, if we're, a programmer wrote in, he says uh, 
that he could work up something that could, quote, work to both our benefits. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so shady. He sounds like a bear eel salesman, boys. <laughs> I'm in. I am way in. And the tr- and it's going to trade when we produce it. Instead of buying a, a Bitcoin, you'll buy a tablespoon up to, an, you know, and it'll be measured up to an eel. You can buy an eel of bear grease. And that, there'll be a finite amount of it. That listener email feels like it could be part of like a deposition someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just yeah. thinking. Sounds like some crooked dudes I've been hanging around with. He left his with. phone number. Is it true so. that you said it could work to both of your benefits? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, mm. Clay's going to break down a cool story about Bear Grease. Um, and they'll also give us an update on Bear Grease podcast. But first, uh, it's the end of Chester the Investor. Like the end? end? Well, Ch- <laughs> Chester, sold, <laughs> Chester sold out. Bought a walleye boat. Tell everybody the story, Chester. Well, I'm super happy, you know, with my decisions. Uh, Bitcoin was going, <laughs> Bitcoin was tanking. Well, and Chester was telling me how Bitcoin was going to be worth $100,000 per coin by the end of the year. Still Because his brother Steve. told him. Still, there's a chance. Um, anyways, Bitcoin, I was sick of staring at it, and I sold it. And it happened to be right before it tanked. Was it addictive to you, like like Instagram? Like like an yes. app that you check? And, yes. And, no. And, 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 no, yes. or else I'd still oh, everybody be Everybody else it. is nodding their head yes. He had a little bit of a checking problem. No. You said you, you said you were sick of staring at it, so I guess I'm just trying to get to the bottom well, of that. I, what does that mean? I'm still I'm kind of sick of staring at Instagram, but I still have it um, sometimes, you know. But I I don't know. I just got, got rid of it because, one, I needed a walleye boat, and I feel like I wasn't too addicted to it. No, you must not have been that addicted because you haven't bought any more, have you? What no. does it mean to be sick of staring at it? We're like eighty bucks in Bitcoin <laughs> still right now. Just eighty bucks. You're still in. Oh, just. No. <laughs> Did you make much money on your on when you sold? Um, I made only a few hundred bucks. All that. Yeah, but I was way up, and but I mean, I got out before I. Lost, lost. So, um, but I had been looking for a boat for a long time, and I was. Sick of getting chased off the lake by weather in Seth's boat. Seth and I fish a lot. This is and, Seth's fault. And uh, <laughs> we had to get off the lake a lot because weather had come in. And I bought a boat, found a boat in Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, off of Lake Winnebago there, which is like an excellent little walleye lake. So I figured the boat had some good juju and stuff. Um, it's called a Sylvan. It's a 16 and a half foot boat, super deep V, really wide beam. Um, it's a tiller and it's just like the perfect little fishing boat. So my parents grabbed it, checked it out. My dad consulted with his buddy who is a walleye fisherman and he said the boat was good. They drove it out to South Dakota, met me. I fished with my parents a little bit. Caught a bunch of walleye. The boat's probably caught, been in it like six times, probably pushing a hundred walleye already. Wow. So good for you. Damn, Chester. Yeah. We gotta get out. Anybody here, we gotta get He's out. He's running my fish finder on it right now, I'll point yeah. out. Well, yeah, I need I need a 
need a better fish finder. The one that was on there is supposedly good, but it's not working. So, so can you handle some uh, bigger waves now in yeah. this rig? Yeah, I was actually out there the other day with Matt, one of our producers, and it was real choppy. You w- wouldn't want to be out there if it were any choppier, and we didn't take on water, so it's it's sweet. Like, and I'm, you know, glad I'm not doing the Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> so Chester divested in Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> What I want to see, what I want to do, with the bear, what I want to do with the Bear Grease cryptocurrency is it's you, it's usable for all of our internal stuff. Yep. And then we can. I keep wanting to tell people about it, but I don't. I shouldn't mention it. How to manipulate the currency? Hmm. Okay, Clay, give us the book report. So uh, this came from uh, where everything comes yeah. from. Jim Heffelfinger. Yeah, Jim, yeah, Jim <laughs> Heffelfinger. He sent us. Uh, he sent Steve and I an article, and it was actually an article in a magazine from 1871. And I'll go ahead and tell you the punchline. He just has, Jim's just getting caught up on his reading and uh, got into his 1871 article. Yeah, yeah. So, so the punchline of this guys ends up in bear grease. Okay, but it, it was a pretty fascinating article, and it it wasn't a light read. I think there's like 17 printed pages, fine print. So it was a it was a it was a good read but it was published in Scribner's Monthly which was a magazine November 1871 and it's the title of the article is 37 Days of Peril. Well, hold on a and, second. What kind of magazine was Scribner's? It was a big magazine at the time, like a big lifestyle magazine and a lot of the they would have, you know, they would send like correspondence out to the American West and do big stories, but it was like a so have you, like, you know this because you've referenced it in your writing in the past? Yeah, you see a lot of old Scribner's things. I mean, it was a it was a long, it was like a long, it was a very highly subscribed, long-form journalism travelogue magazine of its day. Kind of equivalent to, like, what you might imagine. I mean, it's gone now. Do you remember when you were a little kid, like, Life magazine? Yeah. You would have consumed Scribner's in the way that, people would have consumed life magazine like a general interest publication yeah Yeah. interesting yeah this this article would fit right in with what you're saying steve so the title of it is 37 days of peril and it, it basically starts out with a guy in helena montana and he and a group of people are gonna go into the upper yellowstone which in that time period was a super wild, uninhabited or, or uncivilized place. And he said they were expecting 30 days on horseback. And he never really told why they were going. They weren't necessarily hunting, but they were going down into the upper Yellowstone. And somehow he gets separated from the people that he's with. And he, they're all on horseback. And he's separated from his people. And he doesn't think much about it because he knows where they're going. And he, he he talks about camping by himself the first night and how he'll find them the next day and it's no big deal. Well, the next day he tries to track them and has trouble tracking them. And so it comes the second day and he still hasn't found them. And on the third day, he's kind of like, dang, I'm all by myself. But he's still got his horse and his rifle and all his gear. 
And he gets off of his horse in the wilderness to go look for sign to track his buddies. And on his horse, he has his scabbard. He has all his gear, every ounce of gear except for the clothes on his back. And he, and the horse spooks. He just drops the reins and just gets off this good Western horse, you know. that He wasn't worried about the horse running off. The horse spooks and takes off over the hill. And he spends a day looking for the horse. And the horse is gone. And he never sees the horse again. And so he is, I don't know how far, but so far away from civilization that he's in real peril without anything but the clothes on his back. And basically, that's the, the beginning point of 37 days of peril. And he does an incredible job of describing all the scenarios that go through someone's mind who is alone in solitude in the wilderness, being starved, having to deal with the elements. It didn't say exactly when it happened, but clearly it wasn't in the winter but it feels like it was sometime in the fall because there were times when there was a foot of snow on the ground that would that the snow would melt. But basically, he lived off thistle roots. He, he, he would dig thistle roots, and he, there was a period of time when he was by the hot geysers in, in the Yellowstone region, and he would cook thistle roots in geysers. He would sleep by the geysers for the thermo, geothermal warmth, and he described being sopping wet from the vapor of the geyser, but also being warm while the air temperature was super cold. So like really wild stuff. He, he, he one time made a shelter out of um, the, the limbs of an evergreen tree, you know, made like a makeshift shelter. And he said, he said that, a, that a hummingbird flew into the shelter and he caught it with his hand. And he plucked the hummingbird and ate it raw. And he said it was, uh, quote, a delicious meal for a half-starved man. Hmm. Um, he, he did a, man, these guys, I see so much similarity in the way these guys wrote from, like during that time period, there's a lot of just literature, literary terms and different things they used, the way they described that was so similar between like a lot of like this Gerstocker guy that I've talked about on my podcast. But um, here's the interesting part I think that you'll like, Steve, is that he started having hallucinations um, at some period during his, during his trip. And he described it like this. This is a quote. And this is while he is starved, traveling in the wilderness, very much so distressed by the elements. I mean, he talks about storms and snow, and he says, I was constantly traveling in a dreamland and indulging in strange reveries such as I had never before known. I seemed to possess a sort of duality of being while constantly reminding me of the necessities of my condition fed my imagination with the vagaries of the most extravagant character. Nevertheless, I was perfectly conscious of the tendency of these morbid influence and often tried to shake them off. But like he, he was hallucinating and he, he had a plan for how to get out of the wilderness. Like he thought, well, if I go over this mountain range, there's this town 
and he gets way into his journey to get to this other town, and he has what he called a hallucination. I think some people might call it like a visitation. He said uh, he had a visitation by someone in his life that was a medical doctor that he perceived as really wise, who he said literally was there with him and told him, don't go that way. There's no food that direction. Go back the way you came. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash me eater man i just got a new truck before i even drove my new truck anywhere i wasn't gonna drive it anywhere until i put a deck system in it that's how, that's what a believer i am in decked i always thought they're a great deal but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up it's like i didn't know there was a problem with them i don't know they seem great to me this is an improvement on perfection the new system made in the usa gives you 10 to 30 percent bigger drawers to fit more gear it's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed. You can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you can still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself 
and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. He does what this, you know, this hallucination says. And he goes back and backtracks himself all the way. I mean, we're talking like 100 miles. And and uh, it was just wild to hear it because he's this, he, he's evaluating it after the fact, you know. And he credits this very vivid encounter with this, you know, person from his past that said, don't go that way. And he went back, and long story short, he, uh, on his way back, there's a search party that's been sent out, and after 37 days, the search party finds him and takes him back to a cabin. And here's where the real hero of the story comes in. So they get him back to the cabin, and they start feeding him, and basically he can't keep any food down. And he, he talks about how, you know, I've gone through all this, and now I'm going to die that I'm back in civilization. His body was rejecting all the food. Well, the night after, here's the quote. Here's the quote. This is, this is the climax punchline of the story. Be ready to, you know, get excited. The night after <laughs> oh, my ready, arrival, <laughs> the, the night after my arrival at the cabin while suffering the most excruciating agony and thinking that I had only been saved to die among friends, a loud knock was heard on the cabin door. An old man in mountain costume entered, a hunter whose life had been spent among the mountains. That's some beautiful, beautiful writing right yeah, there. Yeah, that was me and Yanni. He, he was, his name was Giannis Putellis, and he was on his way to find his brother. He listened to the stories of my sufferings, and tears rapidly coursed down his face, the rough, weathered, his rough, weathered, beaten face. This man was not only a rugged mountain man, but he was in touch with his feelings. Paul, can you tell us why he was crying again? I kind of got confused there. He, he, he was crying when this man told him about his 37 days of peril. What? This old mountain man wept in the cabin. I don't think so. Well, that's what he says. That's Chester, what he says. do you feel like you're going to cry? No. No. I, well, y'all didn't I read the 17 just small <laughs> type pages that I did. He's saying that this no. whole, I, I, like, I'm, I'm set that, up this for the This isn't the point of the story. I know. I, I, this, I know. Listen, oh, this man. I, I know. It. No, I know. <laughs> I know. And I know the point. And, and I like, I, the reason I, I want it, I know about the punchline of the story, and I, that I want Clay to tell it, but I just got it real quick. I don't buy that. The you old mountain man shows up and cries upon hearing what happened to him. Cries. Hey, listen, it's open I'm now. with you. I'm, I'm with you, Steve. Like, it's kind of like, what? I think <laughs> older men that are in solitude are, are very uh, susceptible to emotional. Sure. Uh, really? Yeah, like, remember, Reagan, remember and, Reagan developed that toward the end of his second term, developed that strange tendency to cry a lot? Mm. I think I'm there right now in my life. I'm, I'm finding myself. You're a crying. little early. I've, I've been there my whole life. But I, do you feel like crying right now about hearing about this guy? No. But what what was I telling you the other day that we I was telling you to watch? Oh yeah, that uh, 
is kind of goofy. I don't want to divert, divert, diverge too much here. This from, is from way well, a divide. Hang tight. Okay. Okay. Here's a, here's a quick way to do it. Watching the Olympics. Did you cry at all? I didn't watch the Olympics. You didn't watch the Olympics at all. No, I was at my fish shack. Oh. I missed the whole thing. Anybody else watch the Olympics? What I cried about from that? Huh? Some of it. You cr- about like uh, you know achievements and losses mm. and triumphs and and disappointments and injuries and then I don't know when people get their medals. Like a lot of times, I'm like it just touches me. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what made <laughs> so me cry. He might have just that much might have been his personality is what I'm getting at. I cried when my babies were born. No, I, Steve's gonna list off all the times he's cried on one hand. No, no, I'll tell you. No, I'll Maybe tell you. It's gonna be six times. I cried at the end of my life without me. I cried at the end of the Ken Burns Vietnam thing when the guy that didn't want to go to the wall finally goes to the wall. That made me cry. I did not cry, but I was very close to with uh, the Rogan episode of the North Korea defector. Oh, have you listened to that? No. Man, that's powerful. And like I could if I, I were in the room, that, if I were yeah. in the room when she was like telling those stories, I'm pretty sure I would have. And like so I can see how this mountain man like having a presence in front of you telling you of his hardship would do that. Yeah, man. I regret bringing well, it up, Clay. Well, wait, <laughs> I just think it says more about did. the mountain man than it does the story. So here's the mountain man. He's all great. Yeah. It's, it's okay, me I'm, I'm 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 going to continue reading from the quote, okay? <laughs> And and we're 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 drawing nigh to our conclusion. Well, go ahead and put he the listened part to the about story. crying back in. Okay. I'd only been had I only been saved to die among friends. A loud knock was heard on the cabin door. An old mountain man in costume entered. A hunter whose life had been spent among the mountains. He was on his way to find a brother. He listened to the story of my sufferings, and tears rapidly coursed each other down his rough, weathered, beaten face. But when he was told of my present necessity, brightening in a moment, he exclaimed, Why, Lord bless you, if that is all, I have a ver- the very remedy you need. In two hours' time, all shall be well with you. He left the cabin, returning in a moment with a sack filled with the fat of a bear, which he had killed a few hours before. From this, he rendered out a pint measure of oil, and I drank the whole of it. It proved to be the needed remedy, and the next day, freed from the pain with appetite and digestion reestablished, I felt that good. I, I felt that good food and plenty of it were only necessary for an early recovery. In a day or two, let's see, yada yada yada. He was good to go, and he went back to Bozeman, Montana. Just yeah, like man. Mignani. Bear, bear grease. <laughs> Told you, Mignani. <laughs> Bear grease saved so the Gianni day. was the one yeah. who cried. So that's why Jim, <laughs> Not Jim Heffelfinger had read that, and uh, he's been listening to the Bear Grease podcast, and he wanted me to read that little section about the old mountain man. Dude, that is Bear great, grease. man. Bear Grease podcast. There you have it. I yeah. love it. You think you could stomach two cups of uh, rendered <laughs> no. bear oil? No. No, 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 no. I watched my brother drink a coffee mug. I dropped my brother drink a coffee mug full of it. Nothing happened to him. Huh? Yeah, Nothing. Your Tough brother's stomach. an outlier. I said, man, <laughs> you are going to be having some problems. <laughs> and nothing happened to him. Wow. And Jim could not have anticipated that we'd also talk about the Olympics and childbirth and North Korea in the story. So Yanni crying all about everything. <laughs> um, 
Uh, what's funny, what, what brings two worlds together is probably the two most mentioned people on this show are uh, our buddy Doug Duran from the Driftless Area of Wisconsin and Jim Heffelfinger. Oh, yeah. And they were together yesterday. <laughs> Whoa. So if there was like a cosmic disturbance <laughs> right? there, a cosmic, like you felt something in the force, it was because those two were driving around Doug's place. Doug even took him to see the navel. Doug's hat on right now. It's a good hat. Oh, yeah. It's not ours. It's just our turn. Yep. <laughs> Doug Dern. Thank you, Clay. Tune into Clay's yeah, Bear Grease podcast. He's got a three-parter coming up on Boone. It's happening yeah, right man. now as this podcast yeah, airs. Clay's yeah. podcast is kicking ass, man. Is this when we get an answer, Clay, about uh, coonskin hats? Oh, yeah. All right. You get it for sure, man. I'm in. How Boone didn't like them. Well, that it's not yeah. what it seems. Hmm. That's that's how Clay set it up. Hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, it's it's been really fun, very fun building out this series. A little more challenging than I thought telling someone's whole life story, but uh, <laughs> man, got you're getting a lot of really great feedback on it. I mean, what's cool is that there's a lot of non-hunting people that are listening to the Bear Grease podcast and liking it. You know, it's great, man. Um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Born on a lot of fun. Are you not into? Hey, there was a there was a guy that <laughs> tried on the Bear Grease podcast. Say it again. There was a guy that a, a old man broke down on the Bear Grease podcast and cried, Mister Roy. Yeah, yeah, talking about tears and old men, dude. dude have you listened? Have you listened to? You want to hear some crying campfire stories, bro? Well, yeah. I was going to bring oh, that yeah. up. Right. Tell me, yeah. you could listen. To all of those. Now, it's different for you because you worked on the project. Still chokes me up a little bit. Brody's story chokes me up a little bit. See? Okay. okay there About saving that boy whose dad right. giving up yeah. for dead. So you are. Yeah. You're, you're he normal. He has some feelings. You're normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got Boku feelings, man. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't show themselves uh, through viscous liquid. Oh, man. You don't, you feel that I'm a dispassionate person? <laughs> no. I feel like you declared yourself a dispassionate person. All right, let's wrap her up. Clay Newcomb, Batteries Podcast. Tune in. More stuff about Boone. Thanks for joining us, Clay. See you guys next time. We are wait, 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 wait. What's going on? We just wrapped her up. <laughs> That's like, we got like 30 minutes that, of podcast left. That was like an 80 minute podcast you did. <laughs> And oh no, no, I forgot. No, 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 you're right, right, right. I forgot. Forgot. Let's keep this in. No, I this is staying in. I forgot about I forgot about that. I was scrapping macro fructation. You can do that. I was scrapping macro fructation because the shirts aren't available. Right, right. Yeah. And now we're rolling into oh, our oh, now we're rolling into our main I, thing. I, I, thought, the mugs I thought I saw some tears welling up in your eyes. You're running to the bathroom. Spencer's like, son of a bitch. Forgot about that. Spencer. Take it over. <laughs> All right. Clay, you sticking around? You bet, man. Yeah. We're going to close out with a Spencer. You got to think of a catchy title for the trivia segment where we, where we, test, where we blow test listeners' minds. Mm. Phil did that in the editing. He threw in like some wild mix of uh, who wants to be a millionaire music with uh, no country for old men scene. I loved it. Oh, can you play it for me real quick? Was that a Phil original? That was a Phil original. That's yes. great. I didn't even know about this. Yeah. You should listen to the podcast. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, some, I do sometimes listen just for quality control stuff. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm here, so I kind of know what's in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But no, I do quite often listen. Hit us, Phil.
I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. How's that? Just tend to win everything. Well done. <laughs> Those things were meant to be together. Oh, that's great, man. Oh, Didn't even know it. So good. That's great. Uh, okay, so tee it up, Spencer. We are back for the second installment of Meat Eater Trivia. Oh, that's what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. This is trivia you're not going to get from Jeopardy or Trivial. come up with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not going to get these questions from Jeopardy or Trivial Pursuit or a bar night trivia, anything like that. These are born out of our four verticals. What are they, Steve? Hunting, fishing, wild foods, and conservation. That's right. And there is a prize, just like last time. Meat Eater will donate $100 to the conservation organization of the winner's choice in the winner's name. We need to get Chester dressed up in a little Speedo to turn the, <laughs> when this turns into a real thing, uh-huh. to turn the things, you know? Yep. Like, like to be like a Vanna like White type there. character. Yep. But it'll be Chester. In a Speedo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's got to be like a sex appeal to it, man. Oh, wow. Like, you know that old role they used to have, like on, on uh, Price is Right? He had like 50 mm. people running around in nightgowns. <laughs> <laughs> deal or no deal have like literally be, 50 women and, that's right <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be Chester and a Speedo so it is 10 so questions sex appeal oh my god <laughs> <laughs> 10 questions last time Brody and Cal tied with 6 they went to the tiebreaker and Brody won I think with this group of folks though we got some ringers in the room and uh and joining us virtually and this group of questions I think it's gonna take 7 or 8 as we design this show mm-hmm as uh, as we design this show, and, and listeners are here with us in the design process, I think it should always be that the reigning champion, oh. like Brody, should be here. It's the, oh. it's the reigning champion's birthday, so I think he can just do whatever he wants. He mm. says he's dragging a crawler harness right now for walleyes. I was just texting with him. I Ooh, like it. I like the yeah. sound of that too. <laughs> so we ready? He says it's pretty slow. Mm. Oh, I'm ready. All right, question one. The category is cooking. And last time, the first question was multiple choice. I've made a decision. We're going to do that every time going forward just to uh, give you guys some confidence, hopefully, for the next night. For every question. Every question is multiple choice. Every question one when we do trivia. So last time, the question one was multiple choice. This time, question one is multiple choice. The next nine will not be, though. Oh. The category is cooking. Which of these cooking oils has the highest smoke point? Mm. Peanut oil, extra virgin olive oil, canola oil, or coconut oil? Ooh. <laughs> now, here's where the question is flawed. Uh-oh. Are they all refined? <laughs> yes. They're refined. Sure. <laughs> sure. Your choice is, again, which one has the highest smoke point? Peanut, extra virgin olive, Canola or coconut? And keep score just for fun, please. Phil can't take it. He's such a trivia guy. (laughs) Have we talked about it on this podcast? Like, Phil's, like, serious trivia. Like, he, when when COVID started, Mm -hmm. he would host Meat Eater trivia nights over Zoom. Like, I don't know if it's weekly, but he'll just bring people people to uh, trivia nights at bars. It's it's shifted into karaoke for the last few weeks. Yeah. When you switch back from that, give me a shout. Really? Yeah. First time I hung out with Phil outside of work was supposed to be a trivia night, and then it was a karaoke night. 
Did you do up and do it? Jason won't ever invite me to do anything. Oh man, oh. I do I do songs all the time. Really? Yeah. What's the song that you do? Um, most recently I did Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn. I did. I've oh, seen him do Phil Croc- Crocodile Rock by Elton John. Yeah. Yep. Phil and I did a duet. We did. Uh, oh, we, we did some video of this. We did a shallow, shallow. from the, the latest Star Is Born movie with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Huh. Do you want to guess who was who? I don't know. Dude, what I'm you guys guessing are you were Bradley. Cooper. I was Bradley Cooper. He was Lady Gaga. Yeah, but like always, he stole the show. Did great. <laughs> okay, let's uh, keep going here. <laughs> All right. All right. Does everyone have an answer? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Reveal your answers. We have extra virgin olive oil at 350 degrees. Coconut oil at 350 oh, degrees. Canola oil at 400 degrees. And the correct answer: peanut oil is 450. Oh yeah. Ooh. So we had big win for Steve O. I just, I just put A, so peanut. Okay. Yeah, he, he, I saw him. He did, was right. Did Clay get it? Clay, what'd you no. have? No, I didn't get it right. So everybody but Phil and Clay. It's good that Clay's an honest man because it's like there's very few people, very few people <laughs> that I would trust to do it remotely. That's right. He could be playing Google and we wouldn't even know. But but Clay is like I trust him. All right, so that, not, yeah, until I'm he wins, good and then you're going to be like, I thought I, I could trust him. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at trivia, too. Mm. Question two. The topic is furs. Furs? Furs. Hmm. What is the name for a female fox? Oh. That's oh. What is the name for a female fox? I don't think that's a fur question, to be honest with you. I think it's like mammalogy. Sure. Huh. Sure. It's hard to integrate. If, you, if you're looking for feedback. It's hard to integrate furs into the trivia, so this is this is a furs question. Oh, no. I do you ever give tips? I'll give you some pointers. I will not give a hint. No. Can we do that game where, what's that game where you give the answer to a question? Jeopardy. Okay. I'm gonna, for a future one, uh, the answer is plue. Ooh. Remember that, and you can craft a question out of that. Okay. Okay. Mm. So... A reminder, the question is, what is the name for a female fox? Steve was very confident, had an answer before I even finished the question, but the rest of the room does not look like they have it. Oh, I haven't I'm written on anything. It. I'm on it. Don't, don't. Uh. Ooh. <laughs> All uh. right. Here we go. Reveal your answers. <laughs> we have a lot of, uh, <laughs> okay, the correct answer as Steve and Clay have, is Vixen. Oh. Nice. Here's another one. Uh, what is in the round? Okay. I remember that. <laughs> a male fox is called a dog fox or Todd. A baby fox is called a pup, kit, or cub. And a group of foxes is called a skulk or a leash. Oh, Ooh. But a female is a vixen. Is a vixen. Can you hit me the group again? I never heard that. Is a skulk or a leash. Huh. Really? Mm-hmm. I feel like skulk is used That's other places. Yeah, skulking too. around. Hmm. I saw you out there skulking around. Mm. He that skulked off. Be good in fox tents. So we have uh, Steve got the first two right so far. This is more like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. You didn't three. do so well last time I take no, it? No, dude. <laughs> I got humiliated. <laughs> Question three. And I would consider this probably the toughest question of the batch for today. This is a visual question, but I'm going to do such a damn good job describing what these guys are looking at that if you're listening to this, you're going to be able to play along and know what's happening. 
I'm holding in my hand a Benchmade Steep Country knife. And I would wager say this is like the most popular knife in the office. Anytime I'm in the field with one of you fellas, I feel like you guys have the Steep Country. Yeah, go to TheMeatEater.com. You can see the knife and buy it. That's right. Yep. And you may not know it, but one of the reasons you like it so much is because of these notches in the back of the blade. Hmm. So the question is... Little thumb grippers. What do you call these small notches or file work cut into the back of a knife blade? Yeah, that's a tough one, Spencer. Corinne, can you help me describe what, what it is I'm, I'm, we're looking at here in the yeah. room? You know, it's like if you... Oh, wait, this part nope. by the handle? No, nope. no, on the blade. Right there, okay. yep. So if you're holding the knife and your thumb lines up with the non-sharp, obviously, part mm-hmm. of the blade, above the handle, you've got some ridges. Like a, you could really kind of coarsely maybe file your nail. That's right. So what do you call these small notches or file work cut into the back oh. of a knife? I don't. I haven't seen anyone come up with an answer yet. Well, I got one written down. Yeah, I don't think I have it, but so I, I've got a description. Is everybody ready? Yes. Reveal your answers. Nobody got it right. The correct answer is jimping. Ah, what? This is the jimping of a knife. J-I-M-P-I-N-G. Wow, that's great. That's good trivia right there, man. That's rock solid gold right there. (laughs) Occasionally, these repeating ridges are just for aesthetics. Like if if you went into a gas station and they had like some big Rambo knives, right, that are like 12 inches long, then they would just be like an aesthetics thing. But for a, a knife like the Steep Country... Um, these have a real purpose, and that is to keep your index finger or thumb from sliding around. Yeah, yeah. sure. That's why well, I call them thumb grippers. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm more interested that's, in That's is, what I called it, too. Well, I called it scoring is, on my mm. chart, mm. on my little dealie. Mm-hmm. Knife makers call it file work. No, they call it jimping, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need this Boone expert to verify if that's a real term. Okay. I'm not well, sure. Spencer, yeah, get on that. You know, Spencer ain't everything, but he probably, yeah, I think he probably does these right. I want to know how you came across jimping. Uh, I was actually reading the description of our steep country knife, and Benchmade uh, talked about how this is why this is one of the reasons why it's the perfect field knife is because the jimping is so good. If I type oh. in jimping into Google, it autofills jimping knife, jimping file, jimping definition, jimping mm-hmm. patterns. Yep, I'll go to mm. jimping knife, and lo and behold, it's little thumb grippers at the top side base of the blade. That's right. So you didn't even know it, but when you're gutting out a deer or skinning a turkey or something, that thing is helping you out a lot. Here's a um, uh, YouTube. So there's an outfit called Three River Blades back in 2012, posted a video. Knife-making tutorial. How do I add jimping to an already-made knife? There you go. Throw that term around now. You sound like a real outdoorsman. Question four. And I'll, I'll remind the audience, nobody got question three, right? So if you did get it right, you're a damn smart person. Question four, categories public lands. Hmm. What state leads America in Bigfoot sightings? Ooh. That's... Ooh. What He's state... thinking you're going to put down Washington. What state leads America in Bigfoot sightings? Now, is this one of those like, um, oh, it's so obvious. Or is this one of those, I didn't know that. I am a host that does not provide <laughs> hints. So you can 
I mean, this would be a tough one to verify. I would feel like. I mean, like, there's not like I, a I have a Arkansas, source. you know, like website where you put up. Dude, all those there is actually websites. There is. Yeah. So when uh, when I reveal the answer, I will give you my source, Clay, and I think you'll be satisfied. Clay, just okay. play along, would you? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Reminder: What state leads America in Bigfoot sightings? Does everybody have an answer? Yep. Reveal yes. your answer. The correct answer, which I see nobody has, oh. is Washington. Damn it! I said. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I, I said it really quickly because you were starting I said, to say. Is it like, oh, that's obvious, or is it? I didn't know that. And then what did I say? Well, you didn't tell me, so I went. <laughs> so I went with the I didn't know that state. Uh, Phil was the only one who got it right. This stat comes from the Bigfoot Field yeah, no Researchers shit, Organization, where he lives. who has been tracking Sasquatch sightings since 1995. In the last wow. 25 years, Washington has had 676 Bigfoot sightings. Amazingly, Oregon, their neighbors to the south, has only had 254 Bigfoot sightings, which is less than states like Florida, Ohio, and Illinois. See, I think it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy thing for Washington because people flock there mm-hmm. because they that's like the Bigfoot state and then they supposedly see Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. This time. is absolutely a question about people, not about yeah. Bigfoot. God, I'm finding it's like the, this game, it's not so much <laughs> what you know, it's how good you are at, uh, like how uh, good you are at your own psychology, man. There you go. Like or the gaming SATs. Spencer psychology. <laughs> yep. First thing that popped into my mind was Washington. You said that. I was like, I'm Poison just the well. Wisconsin. Poison the well. Yeah. Damn, man. Phil, uh, are you keeping track of score? I, I, I picked Oklahoma Get. because Oklahoma, there was a senator that proposed a Bigfoot hunting season. Mm. Like legitimately. Right, Y'all heard right. about that. Question five. Yeah. The category is fish. What do you call the hybrid fish that's created by a largemouth bass and a smallmouth bass? Ooh. What do you call the hybrid fish that's created by a largemouth bass and a smallmouth bass? I should really pay more attention when I'm editing Bent. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody have an answer. Yes. Reveal your answers. The correct answer, which I see nobody has, oh, man. <laughs> is a mean mouth bass. Oh. There you go. Yeah, but well, look what I wrote. Yeah, yours, Steve is close. Foul mouth bass. No. It's no. not a foul mouth bass. If you said a foul <laughs> mouth bass, someone would think you foul hooked a bass. That's not how I spelled it. Yeah. A mean mouth bass. It got its name in the 1960s from biologists that watch a pond of them attack humans and dogs that would wade into shallow water. <laughs> Whoa. The mean mouth world record was broken earlier this year with a seven pound, nine ounce bass from Texas. If you want to see the pictures of it, go to TheMeteor.com and read Maggie Hudlow's June 11th article titled The Most Interesting World Record of the Year. That is an announcer right there. <laughs> Dude, yeah. You've really overestimated this group of players, Spencer. <laughs> no, no, I like it like this, man. I like it to be hard, man. So we are halfway through. Can you give us a scoreboard update, Phil? In first place, we have Steve Ranella. Yeah. Well, I thought I'm tied with Clay. With two. I think Clay only has one. Clay yeah, has Clay's two. just got one. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no yeah, yeah right. I thought right. I heard you give an And every, right. everyone else has one. Wow, I'm kicking ass, dude. Okay. Tight game. Tight, Tight game. game. Halftime. Man, I would have Any, Anybody can win. That's right. Question six. The category is mountain men. I have a lot of faith in this room to get this one right. Jebediah Smith, Jim Beckworth, and Hugh Glass all have this cause of death in common. 
Jebediah Smith, Jim Beckworth, and Hugh Glass all have this cause of death in common. How specific? Just general? I will accept a general answer. Okay, I got it. Jebediah Smith, Jim Beckworth, and Hugh Glass, three famous mountain men, all have this cause of death in common. I'm confident. I don't know, but I'm confident in my guess. I think Steve was confident. Yanni was confident. I'm sure Steve got this one. All right. Everybody has an answer? Reveal your answer. The correct answer, which only Steve has. (laughs) That that was my my second guess. All three were killed by Native Americans. Uh, Jebediah Smith was shot by Comanches in Kansas. Hugh Glass was shot by a Rickeraw oh, no, 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 no. in not Montana. Jedediah Smith. Jedediah Smith was killed at a waterhole by Native Americans. But not in Kansas. It's near modern day Kansas. Oh, it was. Yeah, because his effects wound up in in uh, his effects wound up in Santa Fe or Taos. Just read about this. It was Kansas. Double check me while I explain the rest of the answer. Jedediah Smith shot by Comanches in Kansas. Jedediah. Jedediah. Hugh Glass you know shot his middle name by... Was? Here's some trivia for you, Buster. <laughs> <laughs> what was his middle name? Uh, uh, Brigham. Strong. Okay, did not know that. And while some historians believe Jim Beckworth died of natural causes, his personal friend and founder of the Rocky Mountain News, William Byers, claims he was poisoned to death by the crow in Montana. Mm. That's how those three fellers died. Man, I am pulling out a strong <laughs> lead. So Steve three, everyone else one. I got whooped by Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Question seven, and again, I have faith in the room. <laughs> Category is cooking. The culinary term "el dente" refers to the doneness of what food item? Oh, yeah, come on, man. This isn't in the. This isn't. I know it. But this isn't in the... How does this have anything to do with anything we talk about? We have plenty of recipes in your cookbook, on our website, oh, okay. uh, yeah, on your point. TV shows that I imagine use this food item. The culinary term, Ancient. el dente, refers to the doneness of what food item? I think a better one would have been like, what does it mean? The yeah. definition of it. That would be harder. Everyone has. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm already being hard enough on you guys. All right, all right. I feel like You're right. you need some help. This, this real, was this a softball. Was a, this was real gimme. Okay. Here, I'm kind of disappointed. Reveal your answers. Oh, <laughs> Everybody except for Chester has the correct well, answer. Well, no, Clay doesn't because he put up two answers. I can't do that. Pasta <laughs> <Poster>, squirrel. <laughs> the correct answer is pasta. El dente pasta is supposed to be firm to the bite. According to Chef Jesse Griffiths, who studied and worked in Italy, all pasta should be cooked to al dente, with the only exceptions being baked dishes like lasagna. Doesn't it mean something like to the tooth? To the tooth. Correct. Yes. I also would have accepted rice. Some people use it for rice, Hmm. but more commonly, it would be pasta. Hmm. When we come out with the game, mm-hmm. let's not put that one in there. Because <laughs> it was too easy. Yeah, it's just, yeah I, I still feel like it fits. We're, we're, we're going to develop a board game. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Question eight. The category 
is hunting. And this is an audio question. I'm going to play for you a calling sequence, and you need to identify what game bird it's from. Hmm. Hmm. Everybody ready? Very excited. Here we go. What game bird is that noise from? Mm. See, Steve came up with an answer fairly fast. I don't like my answer. The rest of the room, not so much. No idea. Okay, everybody reveal your answer. The correct answer is teal. Ah. Ah. Which nobody got correct. Hmm. Green wing teal. Really? Although most wow. hunters consider teal to be one of the fastest ducks, they're actually some of the slowest with flight speeds of 30 miles per hour. The fastest duck ever recorded was a red-breasted merganser traveling at 100 miles per hour while being pursued by an airplane. Wow. That's what the teal is like? You know, I think why teal seems so fast is they fly low and erratically. The erratic thing is yeah. definitely yeah. it. But any duck, any duck hunter you'd ask, be like, "What's the fastest bird?" I'm convinced they would say teal. Yeah, because they, I mean, they kind of like they're so low, they often come in unannounced, mm-hmm. and so you don't see them until they're like going by your face, and they're dodging, and it just I gives them the sort o- of ocean a, ducks too are known to be pretty fast, fast flyers, flyers. the divers, yeah. no. Merganser, hundred miles an hour, hundred miles an hour, and that stat comes from Ducks Unlimited. So if you got a problem, Clay. Take it up with them. We are on to question nine. Phil, can you give us a scoreboard update with two questions left? Yes. In third place with one point, we have Chester the Investor. In sec- Tied for second place, we have Corinne, Giannis, and Clay with two. And in first place, it's Steve with four. You say last for third, I think. <laughs> right? Oh, th- the third is last, Chester. I was just trying to <laughs> trying to be nice. It's like a, you're winning a bronze. Two, two questions left. <laughs> two questions left. You're winning a bronze medal. So, right now, Chester. so There's still a chance. It could still, go to a tiebreaker. We need uh, we need Steve to get them wrong and other folks to get them right. Question mm. nine. The category is conservation. Is there going to be a Latvia category? <laughs> <laughs> what year did President Richard Nixon oh. sign the Endangered Species Act? Oh. Oh, Steve got it. <laughs> and it is in the name of the act. Oftentimes, if someone was talking about this, they would say the Endangered Species Act of. I got it down for two years. I can't decide which I'm going to go with. If it helps you at all, it was President Richard Nixon. So if you can uh, do some elimination mm-hmm. math about when he may have been in office, he signed it one of those years. Hmm. Dang. Is two digits okay? Because yes. I do know what yes. century. I will not confuse it with like uh, 17 something. I'm virtually certain. I'm seeing a lot of educated guesses in the room is what I'm what I'm guessing. All right, everybody reveal your answer. Uh, the correct answer that I can't, what, what is? 1964 no, is what I The said. correct answer, which nobody got. Duh. Oh. Is 1973. Uh, I had 74 and 75. There was close. (laughs) Folks had it surrounded. This replaced the Endangered Species Preservation Act of 1966 
and the Endangered Species Conservation Act of 1969. It passed in the House with a vote of 355 to 4 mm. and unanimous, unanimously passed in the Senate. That's what I love about that story. And when the Wilderness Act got uh, passed is how unanimous they were mm-hmm. and how about how many people said that neither of them had enough teeth. They should have made it even yep. tougher. When people talk about the the fractious nature and the polarization um, of today, and you're kind of like, oh, no, maybe it's probably like always. When you look back at some of these things that passed with such widespread support, you realize that there was a time when you didn't, when everything wasn't just like split margin, split margin, split margin. Yeah. And I tried last night, like the Dickens, to find the four people in the house that voted against it just to like get their reasonings for it. I can't find it on the internet. So mm. if you uh, if you know something that I don't, I'd love to hear about what those four folks had in mind when they voted against it. Erased from history. Mm-hmm. Question 10, and Steve has wrapped it up at this point, but everyone else can play for silver medal. <laughs> the category is fish. In the 1995 movie Grumpier Old Men, mm. what is the name of the legendary fish that Max and John try to catch, which shares its name Chester with a famous that. baseball pitcher from the 70s? In the 95 movie Grumpier Old Men, which I believe is the sequel to just Grumpy Old Men, what is the name of the legendary fish that Max and John try to catch, which shares its name with a famous baseball pitcher from the 70s? Never seen the movie. Can't, have you, do you know any baseball pitchers from the 70s? Mm-mm. <laughs> we don't do baseball down here. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to think that's, of. That's actually here. not true at all, but... Damn, Damn, man, these are good questions. You know what I, makes them good questions? A lot of them feel like you should know. That's uh, when you know it's a good question. Uh, mm. Chester sure looks like he knows. All right, does everyone have an answer? Yep. Reveal your answer. The correct <laughs> answer, which nobody has, what? is Catfish Hunter. Oh, Catfish Hunter, what? the real person, his real name was James Hunter, but the Oakland A's owner gave him the moniker Catfish because he thought the pitcher needed a flashy nickname to get the media's attention. And in the movie Grumpy Old Men, they actually catch it on what I think is Max's son's wedding day, and it makes him late for the wedding. Huh. Catfish oh, Hunter. Man. And it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous, fun scene where the flathead catfish comes out of the water as if it's like a blue whale. Right and like, uh, yeah. Of course. Yep. Of course. Where did I get Walter from? Was because that was one of the characters' names. No, mm. one of the uh, actors that plays one of the characters' names Walter. Is Walter. Mm. Oh yeah, Walter Matthau. Damn man, I feel like we're in. Well, no, Steve I did wins. win. No, we are in on a high note. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Steve wins. Everybody's happy. That's right. Steve, where are you going to donate the $100 from Meat Eater? Well, I am going to donate my $100 to the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. They are on a 2-0 sweep for this game. That's so where my far. money's going. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, Spencer. Work up some more. Thank you. Oh, real quick, too. If you have a good question you think we ought to include, um, you got to send it over to Spencer. at. So here's the address. You send your thing to trivia at TheMeatEater.com. And if it uh you know if it makes the cut, you'll hear us give it on this show. See you guys soon.
This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable, they're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go. Stop by your local Tacova's store, have a complimentary drink, and shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. 